0: Again, welcome everyone, and if you would, take out the notes, um, because you're going to need them today. I've got a lot I'd like to cover, but it's going to be good, so uh, get excited. <clears throat> I can guarantee you, there are two topics. If I say I'm going to preach on them in the church, people, their palms start sweating. Uh, one is stewardship, or giving, I've kind of already covered that this morning, and good news, I'm going to preach on it next week, uh, and second... Second is evangelism. Evangelism. Those two topics make Christians slightly uncomfortable. Uh, Becky Piper in a, in a book says this, Christians and not yet Christians have one thing in common. They are both uptight about evangelism. <laughs> it's true. We are uptight about evangelism. And yet, yet we know it's something we're to participate with God in. We know we're to be giving away our faith. If you've been in the church for very long, you recognize one of what God has called you to do while you're still here on this earth. I mean, think about it. You live, you come to know the Lord. Now what do you do? For some people, they're waiting to die or Jesus to come back and hoping they don't screw up too bad in the process. But instead, God has called us to give away what we've been given. We are to be disciple-makers. Look at some of these Scripture passages. Of course, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which he told his followers, which all of us recognize as a command or commission to all of us, to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, doing everything that Jesus has commanded. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, one of my favorite verses, says, "...we are therefore Christ's ambassadors." What does that mean? It means that God is making his appeal through us to the world. He's making his appeal. He's using me and you to go to the world and making his appeal. What appeal? The appeal to be reconciled to God. How are we reconciled to God? We're reconciled to God through Jesus. In John 4.11, he says, I told you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. One of my beliefs is this. Every single person in this room has a harvest field. Everybody in this room has a field to harvest. Your field may be small. It may be larger. One of the uh, terms that I've used over the years is a sphere of influence that God has for you. See it as a harvest field or a sphere of influence that that God has given only you. We'll talk about stewardship next week. Too many times we think about stewardship simply as money. But stewardship has to do with your care of everything that God has given to you. And one of the things he's given you is this sphere of influence. Well, how do we influence that sphere? Well, for the kingdom of God. We're to be light in dark places. This whole series is on participating with God. Prepare, get ready. As God moves, we participate with him. And at the same time, we know that there are things that we do every moment of every day to participate with God's purposes on the earth. We've looked at some of those. We've looked at worship and service. Gabriel did a great job of sharing last week on participating with God in service. Today, we're going to talk about participating together in evangelism. When I was in middle school, my dad, who was a pastor, excuse me, turning green like my car is right now with pollen. I know we're all going to be hacking away here soon, except we believe in healing, so not necessarily. Um, When I was in middle school, my dad, who was a pastor, had this brilliant idea to go to the Montgomery County Fair in Gaithersburg, Maryland. We lived in Bethesda, Maryland, and he was pastoring a church. And he got this great, 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 great In Gaithersburg, Maryland. We lived in Bethesda, Maryland, and he was pastoring a church. And he got this great, great, great idea that said, give us your opinion, give us your opinion. And then we, he built these desks that we sat on, you know, people would come in, they'd walk, and they'd be kind of eye level with us who were sitting down. I'm in middle school, remember? Middle school. Um, and I was young even for a typical middle schooler, but you'd sit behind this desk and you'd ask people their opinions. What do you think about politics? What do you think about um, different religions? What do you think about economics? What do you think about all of this stuff? And then the very last two questions were these. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you can say you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? And follow that up with, suppose that you were to die today, and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And then, based on their answers, we would share the gospel with them. Now, for those of you who've been around since the 70s, you know these are the two opening questions to Evangelism Explosion, EE, which was written by Dr. D. James Kennedy in the early 1960s, which became very, very popular in uh, the 70s and 80s particularly, and tons of people came to know Jesus as the Savior of their life. Now, let me just say this. As a middle school student, I dreaded when a person actually came up to me to give me their opinion because I know these two questions are lurking at the end. And I, I would just, you know, I got to where I could do it, but I have to confess there was no joy in it for me. I didn't really, I, 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 lots of reasons why, you know, I'm in eighth grade anyway, go fit, you know, there are a lot of issues with any eighth grader, sorry, eighth graders, but uh, there are a lot of issues we're struggling with self-esteem about, much less trying to put an adult on the spot about asking if they're and stand before God, what are they going to say? <laughs> in addition, I love the fair. I'd rather go hang out at the movie booth next door or McDonald's or go ride the rides or see the the funny people. It, it, it was a, for, for me it just elicited elicited dread. Now when I talk about evangelism, many of you automatically think, okay, here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna make us learn these questions. We're gonna next thing you know, we're out in the neighborhood, knocking on doors, cold calling on people, asking them. I would like to reframe things today for us just a little bit to talk about how do we give away our faith in a way that fits us, the way God has created me and the way God has created you, and what are things we can all do together to participate in the giving away of our faith. Here's the reason this is important. Some of you so, some of us, I don't just want to say you, some of us so dread the whole thought of evangelism, that the enemy has used it to shut us down from a way that opens our eyes to see how we could possibly give away our faith in a way that's healthy and life-giving and will, in fact, change people's lives. So how can we participate together in evangelism? That's the question today. First way is pray. Now, for most of us, prayer is a last resort. Uh, I'm encouraging you to start with prayer, to pray. To pray. 2 Peter says this, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Is it God's goal that people come to know Jesus as the one who leads their life and forgives their sins, repent and come into relationship with God? Is that God's purpose? Is that God's will? Well, one of the promises is if if we pray things according to God's will, we know He hears us and He answers us. So, We we need to begin this aspect with prayer. I want to encourage you today to write down a name of a person that you know needs to come to know the Lord and start praying for them. I have people that I've been praying for for a long period of time to come to know Jesus. And some of them don't even live around me. So I'm praying that God would bring people in their life who can talk to them about Jesus in a way that they'll receive. I'm praying for them. Put somebody's name down. Put somebody in your sphere of influence who you can who you can pray for. Um, Jesus makes it clear that we're to always pray and not give up. Being persistent in prayer and to understand, because I know that some of you are saying, Yeah, if I put if I put my brother in law down, I'll put his name down, I'll pray for him, but it's impossible. There's no way. I'll just I'll do it, but I know it's not. It's not possible. Let me tell you, people, that's contrary to God's word. Yeah, it's impossible with you, but with, ev- with God, everything is possible. So start by intervening, interceding, praying, spending time with the Lord about what is to take place. And let me just say this. All of us can pray. All of us can pray. Do you agree? Do you agree? All right. Second, have heightened expectations. Raise your expectations about what God can do. It says in Colossians 4.5, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. <clears throat> For many of us, we don't expect God to actually do great things. And so we're almost never disappointed. You know, we don't expect him to. He doesn't. We're just fine. We're afraid that if we expect him to and he doesn't, then I'll be disappointed. Listen, raise your expectations. Believe that we believe in a God who supernaturally still intervenes on the earth. Amen? So begin to look for God to do things. You're right. Your brother-in-law, you're never going to save your brother-in-law but God can. God can. If you saved him, he's really lost still, but God can save him. Raise your expectations about what God can do. Over the years that we've been, I've been pastor Fullness, I've had opportunity to go to a lot of different um, settings where God is moving. Um, Places like Toronto or Brownsville or There have been different supernatural moves of God around our country at various times. Some of you are too young to remember some of these, but I've had opportunity to go to them. And one of the things that always, always, always strikes me is that the people who are coming there expect God to do something. I mean, some people have traveled for a long way to go to these places, but even the people from within the city, they gather at that place and they say, God is moving. God is going to do something great here today. And to me, when you get a couple of hundred people, a couple of thousand people expecting God to do something with heightened expectations, with excitement and joy, praying through stuff, it's unbelievable what God will actually do. Here's my question. Just for instance, on your way to church today, when you weren't disagreeing with your children or your wife or husband, what—that was supposed to be funnier—but what— what did, what did you expect God to do today? Did you come to this place today with an expectation that God is going to move? I want to encourage you, whenever the body of Christ gathers, to begin to expect God to do incredible things. And begin to expect that God will, will move if you'll, give a, if you'll just share your, your faith. Third point. I know I got a lot of points. Some of you panicked when you saw the outline. Like, oh, we are going to be here a while. (laughs) I'm I'm almost halfway done. Not really. uh, But number three is this. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. A couple of passages. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us. How? By His Spirit by his spirit. In other words, being led by the Spirit means I wake up in the morning and I say, "Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Give me opportunities to give away my faith. Show me somebody who I can start a spiritual conversation with. And by the way, here's part of my beliefs is that you may not give the whole gospel in just one big chunk to someone. Maybe they just need someone to start a spiritual conversation with them so that they kind of get on the road to discovering what God is about. So ask God to lead you. Ask the Spirit of God to lead you, to show you someone, to ask a question of them. Paul says also in Corinthians, all of these are from Corinthians, he says, this is what we speak, not in words taught uh, taught in us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. We cannot do this without the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. Let me say it again. The thing I was missing when I was an eighth grade boy giving the opinion of people was I was doing it by rote memorization. If they answer this way, it's kind of like a flow chart. If you answer this way, you go here. Answer this way, you go here. I was really good at flow charts. Um, But the thing I was missing, honestly, was the power of the Spirit. You know, it was just all, a, it was all just words. Now, remarkably, God used just words out of my mouth uh, to touch people's lives. I mean, I actually saw some people get saved That's those three summers um, that we did the give us your opinion tent. But it was because of the power of the Spirit, I can tell you, it wasn't me. And it wasn't necessarily the power of the Spirit anointing my life and then filling my life. And yet, Paul makes it clear that our message in preaching is not with persuasive words, but rather with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that our faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You know, too often we have, we have seen ourselves as like cold call salespeople You know, the whole theory behind robocalls is they just feel like if they can call enough people, somebody will say yes, right? So you just keep doing it and do it. Somebody somewhere is going to say yes. And, uh, you know, I know that that can work and does work, but I don't believe it's the message of the Christian life, that if we just keep doing it over and over and over again, you know, there's a possibility we could actually turn some people off to the gospel if we're not led by the Spirit and having the conversation in a way that's God-directed. I want to encourage you, be led by the Spirit. Jesus even told his own disciples this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. We need the power. We need the presence. We need the person of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us and directing us in this project this call, this commission on our lives. All right, the fourth point. We are in the people business. We're in the people business. This is, this is like father and sons and daughters. That's the business we're in. we got a father, and we're the sons and daughters, and that business is a people business. It builds the kingdom of God. In other words, our business is not to build buildings, I mean, I love our building. I think God has really graced us with a paid-off building, which I love. And green chairs, which truthfully I've grown a little tired of over the years. I'd like to replace the chair someday. Can I get an amen? Some of you would still love these green chairs, uh, but I'm ready for some new ones. But the downstairs looks great. I love the renovation. I love what God has enabled us to do, but we are not in the building business. We are in the people business. We're in seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. The reason we have a building is so that we can equip each other in order to live the Christian life and to give our faith away. Jesus didn't say to his followers, Hey, guys, come follow me, and someday in Rome, there's going to be a big building. It's beautiful. People come from all over the world just to see this building, these paintings on top of this building. No, he said, Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Your job is going to be to be in the people business, to share and to give away your faith. God so loved the world. And by the world, he means the people. I mean, he loves the whole thing, he made it. But his real love is for, for the people. Here's the deal. <clears throat> If we understand that we're in the people business and that we really love people, genuinely love them, they'll recognize that love. And at the same time, adjacent to that incredible love for people is this incredible heart that is broken to understand that people who are not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ will be eternally separated from God. It's one of the truths of the Word of God. If we love people, then we're we're literally dying to get people to come into his kingdom, to say, I I can't even imagine my brother-in-law not with us in heaven. Best-selling author, Pastor Rick Warren, shared that on the Friday that his father uh, was passing away. His father died at the age of 95. His name was uh, Jimmy Warren, and He'd been a pastor and a church planter and a church builder his whole life. Here's what Rick Warren says about this last weekend with his father and about his dad in general. He says, he, he never talked about the books he'd read or the movies he'd seen or the war he'd been in. Instead, he dreamed about building churches, reliving one project after another. The night before my father died, my wife whose name is Kay, my niece and I were in the bedroom by his side. Dad suddenly became very agitated and tried to get out of bed. Of course, he was too weak to get up, so Kay insisted that he lay back down, but he kept persisting in trying to get out of bed. Finally, Kay, in exasperation, said, Jimmy, you cannot get up. You're dying. We will get you whatever you need. What are you trying to do? And listen to these words. He said, My dad replied, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. He began to repeat that phrase over and over and over again. It is no exaggeration to say that during the next hours before he passed away, he repeated the phrase probably a hundred times. Got to save one more for Jesus. What did he recognize? He recognized I may be dumb, but I'm in the people business, and I've I've got to share one more. I've got to share with one more person. Many of us, when it comes down to it, we don't have that heart for people. We tolerate people. They're necessary in our lives, but we don't have such an overwhelming love for them that we're willing to share our faith with them. Here's the part I really wanted to get to this morning, and this is uh, the key. Everything's been set up for this point. It says this, use what God has given you. Use what God has given you. Can, can we recognize that in this room there are all different types of people? I mean, really. You no. Know, Gabriel's different than I am. We've got a lot of similarities, but we're different. TV's different than me. Than me. Chris Coon's different than I am. Uh, Jenny Hackney's different than all of us. And I'm not just talking about gender or race. I'm talking about the way God has made us. God God has made us all very, very different. And what I want to encourage you today is this. Did I say something funny, Jenny? Just because you're you're different than all the guys I I called out. I recognize, Jenny, you're different than us. Um, Where was I? We're different. We're different. And it, I think it's incumbent upon us to use those differences because I'm not going to reach everybody that Jenny's going to reach. I, we're made differently. We communicate different. We've got different personalities. So why not walk according to the bent that God has placed in us already? Rather than making everybody fit this one pattern... So the material I'm going to give you now, the listing, uh, here's what I would like for you to do. If you've got your notes, write these down and pray about it and see which of these is most like me. And this comes from a book uh, from about a decade ago called Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's by Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel who were on staff at the time at uh, Willow Creek in Chicago. A great book. It's called Becoming a Contagious Christian. I love it because it's not really... It's about evangelism, but it's really talking about communicating with the world around us. Here, here's the point. There are different styles of evangelism, and I'm talking about biblical styles. There are different ways different people in the Bible did it. So I'm going to give you a style. I'm going to give you the person, story behind it, some characteristics, and I want you to help identify what, which style is, or two is most like you. And then pray through. God, open up doors about how I can use my style to give away my faith. So here we go. The first style is confrontational. Confrontational. I'm going to jump right in. Peter, confrontational. And and, and if you think about it, this really really was Peter's style. He was pretty much a confrontational person. I, I mean, think about the sermon on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, They just killed Jesus in Jerusalem like weeks before. And now, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he gets up before the same people that have just killed Jesus, and he says to them, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. People, that is confrontational. That is in your face, kind of, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, directed by God. Uh, It's fine to be confrontational to an extent. Some of you are more (laughs) bent toward it, uh, through this confrontational style. And God will use you in a great way. Um, to, to give away your faith. Some of the characteristics of this style are somebody who's confident, assertive, and of course direct. Uh, if God made you confrontational, here's what I would say to you uh, you might want you might want to uh, mix in a little love uh, with your confrontation. Uh, this is not about being an angry Christian. This is about being a, A speak the truth in all circumstances, but speak the truth in love. Confrontation is not bad when, I think, done in a loving and caring environment. Peter is an example of confrontational. Another style of evangelism is intellectual. Intellectual. You see this in Paul. I know Paul says, I didn't do things with wise words and persuasive words but by the Spirit's power. But that's only partially true. I mean, Paul was very intellectual, and the way he presented many times was in an intellectual style, but directed by the Spirit of God. It's not an You know, same thing with confrontation. You don't just confront to confront. You do it under the power of the Spirit. Same thing with this intellectual style that Paul gives. Acts 17 is full of these examples of Paul walking in a more intellectual style. It says in uh, Acts 17, As his custom was... Paul went into the synagogue, and on three, day, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. He reasoned. He explained. He proved. All very intellectual approaches. In the same chapter in Acts 17, he goes to Athens, and he preaches on Mars Hill, which is right next to the Acropolis, He preaches to a group of philosophers and he talks about an unknown God. He said, you people, you got statues to all these gods and you got one, you're afraid you haven't covered them all, so you've got one to an unknown God. I want to tell you, this God is known and here's who he is. It's a very intellectual style that appeals to the philosophical nature of of what was there. Listen, can we, can you... See that there are some people who, if you just say to them, without answering questions and without reasoning to them, if you just say to them, hey, look, you just got to put your mind at the door and believe in faith. If you say that to them, they're like, I don't think so. I don't want to be a part of a stupid religion. I don't want to be a part of a religion that, listen, we can't answer every single question. And there are mysteries involved in all aspects of faith for many of us to just say believe in faith forgive me for saying this it's just lazy it's just lazy because we don't want to have to do the work of saying wow this i want to study this i want to get I, I i don't know the answer to your question but i'll find it out and go do the hard work of looking it up and some of us actually love this stuff i actually love having a question and then going and finding the answer to it And researching it and understanding, trying to get my my mind around as much as I can. Obviously, this is more of my style. Not that I'm that smart, but I just like this style. And some of the characteristics are uh, inquisitive, analytical, logical. Makes sense, doesn't it? And there are lots of great people who do this kind of style. Most people who are in apologetics, um, that's kind of studying the answers you know like Ravi Zacharias and Josh McDowell they love this stuff they're they're built for for this and you have other people who are much more confrontational I, I don 't know if you ever uh, listened to Charles Colson on the radio when he would speak he was very direct very confrontational they're modern examples of all of these intellectual is that second one um, testimonial and All all we know is his moniker, which is blind man, (laughs) which is funny. Remember the story in John, Jesus comes to this man who was born blind, and he heals him. Now, as far as we know, no one who had been born blind, and this is one of the signs in the book of John of the Messiah, is that he will heal someone blind from birth. In other words... Uh, If someone became blind later in life and then they got healed, there are all sorts of explanations that people would have for why why they couldn't see and now they can't. But this, this man could not see and everybody knew him. Everybody in Jerusalem, they all knew this guy as the blind beggar by the gate. And Jesus comes and heals him. Now this guy has himself hauled before the religious authorities and they say to him, hey, Who is the guy who healed you? You know, is he this? Is he that? They're grilling this poor blind man who probably has no education at this point. I mean, he was blind from birth. He was probably an outcast in many settings. Uh, He's a beggar. Everybody in town knows him, though. And all the religious leaders, they're now hammering him to answer all these theological questions. and, And all he can say is this. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Look, I can't answer all your questions, but I can tell you this. I was blind, and you guys know I was blind. By the way, that's part of the evocation. You know I've been like this, and now I see. He goes on and says, here's where he starts to preach a little bit. You know, he's not that, he's telling his story, but he says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. And he goes on and says, he's basically saying to them, hey, you guys have told me my whole life that God doesn't listen to sinners. You guys told me this. And we know that, right? Kind of thing. And he goes, he listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I mean, he's not a great theologian, but he's hammering these guys with what they've hammered him with. Look, God doesn't hear sinners. He only hears the godly. Well, God doesn't We've never seen God born blind. This guy did it. He's got to be from God. This testimonial style is one of, I, I believe, one of the most powerful styles of sharing your faith. Here's who I was. Here's who I am. God did this in my life. And God can do it for you, too. This testimonial style. Now, you may say to yourself, you know, I, I don't, I don't, my testimony is pretty lame. I mean, I I didn't have a great story growing up. I mean, I could say that. I mean, I was born in a pastor's family. Um, You know, I've kind of kidded with people. I had a drug problem when I was little. Um, I got drugged to church. I got drugged to church on Wednesday night. I got drugged to church. I mean, every time the doors were open, I got drugged to church, kind of thing. I, I was always in church. Now, I remember when I came to know the Lord, but, you know, I still have a story to tell about my journey of faith with God and the person and work of the Holy Spirit and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and the things that God has done in my life, you every single one of you have a story, a testimony that you can give away, even if it's not as dramatic as the people who had real drug problems or, and got set free. Um, here's some characteristics, being able to be a clear communicator to tell your story. Being a good storyteller and a good listener will help you in this testimonial style. Next style, relational or interpersonal. Uh, this is living it out. Living it out. There's a story in Luke 5 of after Matthew, the tax collector, comes to faith. Uh, he comes to know Jesus. He comes to faith and he does this remarkable thing. He throws a party. It says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. What did Levi, Matthew, do? He threw a party with a purpose. He threw a Matthew party. I'm going to have a party. I'm going to invite Jesus and some of his followers, and I'm going to have these guys mix with the tax collectors that I know that don't know Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect these groups. And Matthew's probably thinking, I don't know enough to say. But you know what? I can invite someone to come meet Jesus. I can throw a party with a purpose. Uh, wouldn't it be great? I mean, think about this. Some of you would be great at this, of hosting a party where you invited some of your neighbors and some of your Christian friends to simply mingle together and talk with one another and share the faith. Now, you got to pick the right people. I, I understand, but Matthew just said, I'm going to ask the worst. I mean, Jesus, he hangs out in these kind of parties so much that he's, he gets accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Till the point he says, listen, this is why I've come. This is why I'm, why I'm here. Uh, some of you have this bent of hospitality. You have characteristics that you've got a warm personality. People like you. They're attracted to you. You're very conversational, and you're friendship-oriented. So invite the people you're friends with who don't know Jesus and invite some of your Christian friends to together. Have a party with a purpose. Too often, by the way, you separate those groups. I'll invite my neighbors, but I'm not going to invite my church people. Or you invite your church people, but you don't invite your neighbors. Why not bring them all together? See what God will do. It will be incredible. Next style, invitational. Uh, do you remember the woman at the well? Uh, Jesus says, talks to her about her life, tells her, you know, you, you, you don't have a husband. You've had several of them. The guy you're living with now is not your husband. Talks about living water and worship and... What does she do? What is her response? She goes back to the village, the back to the place that she's from. And many of the Samaritans, they believe in Jesus because of her testimony. What was her testimony? you got to come meet this guy. He told me everything I ever did. He, he, she invites. Now think about this. Is she not the least likely evangelist you've ever heard of? I mean, she's out actually getting water at a time when the rest of the Samaritans aren't even there, most likely. She's gone out by herself. She's ostracized in her own community. They know she's an immoral woman. They know everything about her. I mean, she's the least likely. So for you to say, you know, I'm really not qualified. I mean, what did this woman know? She didn't know that much. She didn't know enough to answer all their questions about the guy in Africa who never hears about Jesus and what's going to happen to him. She does not know that either. I don't even know if she knows where Africa is at this point. What I'm saying is you have a gift that God has given you to share, and she invites her town to come and to hear about Jesus. You know, George Barna says that as many as one in four people have said that they would go to church If somebody just asked them. Now in the South, it may be a little hard because people have been to church. They're already a little jaded. Might be one in nine. But when was the last time you invited someone? Some of you are especially built for this invitational style. Uh, You're hospitable. You're relational. You're persuasive. Why not invite people to come and to hear about the Word of God? To hear and to participate in worship worship together I, I again i believe the woman at the well is a great example of an imperfect person sharing their faith come and hear next example last one really is about serving one of my favorite names in the bible is dorcas um, you know not many not many people none of you are naming your daughters dorcas anymore i don't understand it I do understand it. Uh, trust me, but she's an incredible person in the Bible. In Acts 9:36, it says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which was translated as Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. helping the poor. In other words, she made robes for uh, widows. She gave clothes away to the poor. And her service was having an obvious impact for the kingdom of God. And when she died, the believers came to Peter to pray over her to get her raised from the dead. I mean, think about this. You might say, well, somebody who just serves, they may not be that important. You know, I just serve, I I, want to do... Listen, there's some obvious benefits here. This woman was so loved that the people in her church... Went and said to Peter, Hey, we, we need her. She's having a great impact for the kingdom. I, that's, in my imagination, what they're saying. And he raises her from the dead, and she gets back to work. She starts serving and doing stuff. You know, in service, you, you're called to give a cup of water in the name of Jesus. It's not just about giving water away. It's about giving a cup of water in the name of Jesus. You're to visit people in prison in the name of Jesus. You're to give away clothes and food and build hospitals and do wonderful acts of service in the name of Jesus. It's a way of showing to the world that our Lord came not to be served, as Gabriel talked last week, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And many of you in this place are built for service. You are great at serving. Some of the characteristics of somebody who has this style might be others-centered, humble, patient. You're built for service. And then, just to, I just want to throw this out here. Never underestimate the power and, of the miraculous, sign gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given us to, to walk in. Matter of fact, almost all these people that I've already mentioned to you, I say almost all, a lot of the people that I've mentioned to you are involved as well in incredible supernatural encounters that then see see people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Peter, Paul, Dorcas, um, they're, they're all engaged in these times where God moves in a supernatural way, and every time... Someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ as a result. What, what do sign gifts do? These supernatural things? They're signs. They point people to Jesus. They say, come to, to Jesus. Let me close out by saying these two things. You may say, you know what? I, I don't know about the whole process of evangelism. And I think for a lot of people, it is a process. And there's this whole sowing and reaping thing. Maybe you're the one who, it's, Jesus says, others, at the end of this, he said, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. There's a principle here that it's like A person coming to know Jesus may be like links on a chain. And you may just be one link on that chain. Somewhere along the process of seeing a person come to know faith. Maybe you're the one who initially introduces someone to to Jesus. Or you start a spiritual conversation with him. And then another one of you might be the third or fourth link conversation. And eventually what we hope for is that someone leads them across the line of faith but we're involved in a sowing and reaping process. And if you see this whole thing is that kind of idea, then I think it will help all of us move forward in the process of evangelism. Not that every person... I mean, it, it could happen. It could happen where someone says, I, I, I want to know Jesus today. I want to know Jesus today. I, I remember, and I've told this story before, and Steve couchup. I apologize for using your name without asking but um, asking permission, but I've told the story in public before. I remember when Steve and Lori were sitting in my office and I talked to Steve about uh, Jesus and what it meant. And, you know, Steve was honest enough to say, yeah, I've never done that. I've never received Jesus. I said, well, it's easy. You can receive Jesus today. And he goes, yeah, I want to do that. And it was so shocking to me that I backed up. You know, it's kind of like... No, I don't think you understand what you're doing, Steve. Okay, <laughs> yeah, let me go through this, let me go through this process again. I was just so but it was because I believed God had done a lot of chain links in Steve's life to lead him to that point where he was in my office and his work, what God was doing in his his life at that that moment. I got to I got to reap in that moment. And it was an incredible, it was an incredible blessing. Now, you, you're a link in a chain somewhere. See it as a possibility for what God wants to do in the days ahead. We are all, here's the truth, we are all called to participate with God in evangelism. In closing, let me just remind you of this story real quick. There's a story in the Old Testament where there's this city that's been besieged and people are dying. They are... They are starving to death it is a horrible story if you go and read it I mean people are actually devouring they're so starving that they're devouring other people's babies I mean you can't even believe the stories in the Bible it is horrible and they're starving to death and they're besieged by this army that's around them and at the city gates are these outcast guys lepers and they're they're, the the lepers are at the gate and they're like you know we're going to die We're going to starve to death. We can't even talk to the people in our own city because we're unclean. We have to sit here at the gate. They're not even throwing us their scraps because they got no more. Let's do this. Let's go out to the army and just throw ourselves at their mercy. And if they kill us, what's the big deal? We'll just die faster. I mean, we're starving to death already. This is horrible. Maybe they'll show mercy to us. These lepers, they get up. They go out to the army. Well, What they don't realize is that in the middle of the night, God's angel army has moved on the occupying forces and an incredible thing is happening these guys, the occupying army they jumped up and left it's a longer story, I'm trying to synopsize here, but they just left and they left their tents and their food and their stuff and these lepers going out, they're like we're going to just throw ourselves on the mercy they walk into this oh wow unlimited food unlimited. I mean, this is like golden corral times 100. You know, I mean, we just got, I got everything I want. More rolls. Give me more of those rolls. They just gorge themselves to the point of being sick, and they're sitting back in a tent, and they basically say to one another, hey, we're not doing right. There's a whole city right there that is starving to death, and they have No idea about what's here. We need to go back and share. Now, let me tell you, in preaching this, there's a hundred reasons those guys could have not gone back and shared. They are so mean to me. I am not going to go share. You know, they, they threw us out of the city gates. They don't deserve all of this. You know, they've been doing terrible things in that city. God's judgment should be on them. I mean, they could have gone down the list of reasons they shouldn't go back and share, but they, they had enough wisdom to say, I want to give away my spiritual wealth. I want to give away what God, I didn't deserve this. We just walked into this. And look what God has done. People, to me, that's like us in the church. We have unbelievable spiritual wealth that God has given us. And is it right that at times we sit and gorge ourselves on the joy of the Lord when there's a world mean people, but there's a world out there who needs what we have. My challenge to us today is I'm not trying to guilt you, I'm trying to get you to open your eyes and to see the fields are white, white under harvest. Let's participate with God in giving away our faith. Stand up with me if you would. Lord, we thank you today. I thank you, Jesus, that I stand a beneficiary of the grace of God. I didn't deserve this. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was dead, but you made me alive. You made me alive. Lord, I pray my heart would be opened on how to give away what you've given me to the world around so that others would also be made alive. Lord, I pray that for us as a congregation, open our eyes to see the way you've made us, the bent that you've put in our lives, personality-wise and gifting-wise. And Lord, may we begin to pray and be led by the Spirit and, and open our eyes to see what's around us and give away our faith. Holy Spirit anointing be upon us. May your power be received. And then may we be your witnesses your ambassadors, to a world around us. Thank you, Lord. We receive without guilt, without condemnation, in joy we go to share. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church,